88 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to remember all the games you loved when you were young. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we are talking about our favorite older games. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like Nine Tiles Panic and Mr. Faiths. Then, we talk about our top five games that we started playing before we were formally introduced to the world of hobby board games. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word Hasbro. And now, here are your hosts, Amby and Crystal. Normally during our recently played segment, since Amby lives in California and I live in Nevada, we discuss a different game each. Well, we just happen to have played the same games yeah. in recent past. So we are going to do joint reviews of two different games for you all today. This is not it's something fighting. that happens pretty much ever. <laughs> like, some, a lot of times we chime in with our thoughts on the other person's game because it's something we've played in the past. But this is the first time, I think, in the history of the podcast that we both played something that was new to us. Two different games like recently and are uh-huh. want to share our thoughts about them yes i, I think so <laughs> <laughs> three and a half years exciting. and we're finally doing it y'all we're, yeah. we're real pod board game podcasters now uh so the first game so both of the games are by oink games which is a company that ambie and i have talked about quite a bit in the past and it's a company that we like a lot of their titles um but they have two newer ones nine tiles panic's definitely brand new mr face is a little bit older i think right yeah so um Mr. Face came out in 2018, designed by June Sasaki, who is the owner of Oink Games. Mr. Face is a, it's kind of like Dixit. Like everyone is putting in things and you're trying to guess like the the main person's thing. <laughs> there, there's a lot of games like that, but basically in Mr. Face, you're making emojis out of these shapes. So there's a circular yellow or oval yellow cardboard thing and then you put these little circles and other shapes of that are black or white depending on which way you flip it over onto it to make a face that shows a certain expression and so you have a card that has a mood or expression and then everyone's trying to guess which one it it is out of like everyone puts in a card after they see the face that tries to match that mood but the moods aren't just like happy or sad it's like oh no i forgot my keys or oh, I left the stove on, or did I? <laughs> yeah, or I can't believe he did that. Like, yeah, it's very, the the words on the cards are definitely, like, there's a lot of shades of emotion in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, oh, yeah, one of them, I think, is something like, that was funny, not. Like, it's <laughs> like, because you start reading, you're like, oh, so they're, oh, no, they're not amused. Never mind. Yeah. Um, so yeah, everybody else throws in a card from their hand that has a phrase on it that they think matches the face you built, and then everybody has to guess which one was the original phrase that you were building the face off of. Yeah. So that's it. That's how the game plays. <laughs> that's very simple. Um, and you only play a number of rounds equal to the number of players, which yeah. I thought was kind of odd, especially if you're playing with less people. <laughs> well, yeah, that way everyone gets to do it once and then... I guess it doesn't overstay its welcome. <laughs> that it definitely did not overstay its welcome. We played with four people, and then we were like, okay, I guess we're done now. <laughs> so I really like Dixit, and I like Muse, and I like other games that are kind of like this one. And I was very, very excited about Mr. Face, and I ended up very, very underwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the opposite for me. Oh, really? So when I had seen pictures of it, I was 
thinking like, isn't that going to be really easy? The emotions are just, but because I didn't know what the emotion cards were. <laughs> so, but then when I actually play like, oh, they're like really obscure things. So it's hard to do it. And so I, I enjoyed it. But like, I don't know if I, how, how much longevity it would have. <laughs> okay. I think for me, it was tough because like when, like there isn't a lot of interest in the cards that you're picking to try to mm-hmm. throw into the pot because in Dixit you are trying oh, yeah. to get other people to guess your card and you get points when they do but in this game if other people guess the card that you threw into the mix you don't get anything for that there's no yeah. benefit so like <laughs> it was just like all you're worrying about is picking the right thing really you could throw yeah. any card out of your hand I guess the only reason is if other people don't guess the right one they don't get the point but yeah that's it I honestly, I think I would house rule this in the future and give points to people whose answers got guessed that were the wrong answers. Because just yeah. like in Dixit, it feels like you should be wanting to convince people that your answer is the right answer. Yeah, I so, think that might make sense too. Yeah. But yeah. but I found myself while we were playing, they would make the face and then I would try to make the face like myself with my own face, like trying to make the expression <laughs> and then see what I feel like. <laughs> try to match that (laughs) okay that uh, now I want to play with you because that sounds like way more fun we were we were kind of just like going through the motions on this one and it did not I was uh I will say there is a variant in the rule book where instead of using the yellow cardboard Mm -hmm. face you actually like spin around and face away from the group and take a selfie and then show the selfie to everyone instead of using the components and we did not do that but that might make it a little silly as well yeah. Mr. Face of the Oink games is prob of the ones I've played is probably near the bottom of my list. I didn't hate it, but it was disappointing for me just because it didn't have a lot of depth and nuance. Mm-hmm. And especially when I'm in my head, I'm automatically comparing it to games like Dixit, and it yeah. doesn't even have all the same things as Dixit. Um, it was hard for me to really fall in love with it. Yeah. For me it's probably in the middle of the Oink games. It's it's really short and quick, so like, it didn't overstay its welcome for me, so I liked it. And sometimes the Oink games, like, the rounds make, like, having multiple rounds make it overstay its welcome, so I don't like them Yeah, that's much. true. <laughs> so. so the other game that you and I both played, also from Oink games, is Nine Tiles Panic, which I was very excited about because I love Nine Tiles. You've played mm-hmm. Nine Tiles before. You and I have actually yeah. played Nine Tiles together. Yes. Nine Tiles is my favorite Oink game because I like speed games a lot. <laughs> I don't, is it my favorite? I think it's probably, it's probably top two. I don't, I think I like Deep Sea Adventure more, but I really like Nine Tiles. Mm -hmm. So in Nine Tiles Panic, similarly to Nine Tiles, well, I'll explain Nine Tiles briefly, even though we've probably talked about it before. In Nine Tiles, each player gets a set of nine tiles. (laughs) Each tile has a simple, colorful image on one side, usually just a basic shape of some kind, like a... A circle or a flower or a triangle, something like that. And then on the other side will be a different colored shape. There's a deck of cards that have configurations of nine tiles all displaying different symbols that are on the tiles. You flip a card over and everyone has to manipulate the tiles in front of themselves to match the pattern shown on the card. And that's it. It's very simple to explain and very difficult to get good at because while there might be an orange circle 
on the back side of that one blue tile, on the other blue tile, if you look at the back, it's the yellow flower. And you'll flip over a tile expecting one thing and you'll get the other thing. And so it's hard to sometimes find the exact right pattern, um, but it works really well and it's fun. So in Nine Tiles Panic, they've kind of stepped it up a notch. And instead of just basic shapes, you actually have paths through a city and buildings and police officers and donuts. <laughs> Yeah, just oh, no, on the tiles. Yeah, like there's hamburgers and aliens, aliens. and the aliens want to eat the hamburgers and the cops are chasing <laughs> the aliens. Oh, and there's dogs for some reason too. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm not mad about it, but. <laughs> and you're manipulating those tiles to try and form paths that will meet the conditions of three cards that were selected each round. So it might say the most aliens in front of a single cop. And so you want to build the streets so there's a lot of aliens, but only one cop behind them and pointing toward them. Or mm -hmm. each alien eating at least one hamburger. And so you want alien burger, alien burger all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, but in addition to the scoring conditions, you also have to have roads that are legally placed, which means they either, uh, well, they basically have to run to completion off the side of your nine by nine grid. They can't make a loop and they can't break in the middle of the tiles. The, there's a bunch of different scoring conditions and you choose different ones each round. Um, so you're never trying to build the exact same kind of thing, which is what you're doing in normal nine tiles. Yeah, so I liked this one. Um, we only played it once, and I think I heard there's advanced rules, advanced scoring rules too, but I think we only played with the beginner ones, which is like counting how many of each thing there are. But it's it's similar to Nine Tiles, but then it adds like the more spatial aspect because you're, you're trying to make the routes and make sure they're right. So I liked that. Uh, I, I'll need to play it more to see how much I like it, I think. But I don't own it. It was my friends. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I picked this one up at Gen Con. I actually pre-ordered it. And I, I was expecting to love it. And I kind of didn't. And it's a bummer because Nine Tiles is so pure and so fun. Mm. I, I think the thing that made this one difficult for me to love is the, the rule regarding the roads specifically. Because I'm mm. trying to meet the scoring conditions and also have all of my roads legally placed. And doing that felt very difficult most yeah. of the time. Like in nine tiles, you have that moment of frustration where you have like one tile that doesn't fit. And then you can kind of just manipulate a single tile in other places to try and find the way to fix it mm -hmm. to some degree. But in this game, if you have a tile you can't legally place, you kind of have to throw away the whole thing sometimes to figure out the solution. And it was a little bit more frustrating. Um, in this game, there is a little bit more flexibility in the time in that mm -hmm. when one player completes their city, they flip over a timer and then you have until the timer runs out to complete yours as well. So it's not like you're just acting off of a timer the whole time, yeah. but it was still really hard. And I do, <laughs> I like, I like real time games, but this one was more frustrating than I expected it to be, mm. which, kind of bummed me out <laughs> yeah it's definitely a lot harder than nine tiles so it it would be a lot harder to get played than nine tiles so I, I like nine tiles more because it's just so much purer and simpler but yeah i i like spatial things as i think i've mentioned before so so i was pretty decent at building those there are certain spatial things i'm good at <laughs> this is not one of them clearly but yeah one of my friends was having a lot of trouble like making a legal thing even after the timer ran out and we were like already counting scores <laughs> he was still trying to 
like make sure make a legal thing he's like it, it won't it won't work so i yeah, literally that, was the same way i was like oh i finally did it i did it and then elissa was like um that road right there and i was like dang it no yeah. so i think i i like the idea of this i like mm. the idea of a more complex nine tiles but it almost feels like there's just a little bit too much going on, like with the hamburgers and the aliens and the dogs. And I get that they have to have all those things for the different scoring conditions. Mm-hmm. I wonder I, I wonder if I could curate the scoring condition deck to pick out some things that are that either work well together or are a little bit simpler. So that way I can kind of just get used to things. And I imagine that just like with regular nine tiles, with repeated plays, you would kind of remember what was on the backs of certain tiles like okay that one has the cross in it that the back is like two of the swoopy roads or whatever but uh for a first play it was very hard so i am i am looking forward to trying this one more but my first impressions were not the best which was a bummer oh i know it's weird for me to have played two new oink games and come away kind of disappointed (laughs) and i liked them both (laughs) (laughs) well hey that's good we don't often get to share our both of our opinions on the thing so all right so uh that was our thoughts on the two new well one new and one slightly less new oink games mr face and nine tiles panic all right recently we asked people on twitter what kind of episode they wanted to see from us and unsurprisingly people still want lists (laughs) everybody likes lists And we do too, truthfully. We just don't want to do them too often. But it's been a little while, so we're giving you all a top five today. And that is our top five pre-hobby games. So what does that mean, Ambie? Because, like, we could have said old games or classic games, but that doesn't really fit with what we're doing today. Yeah, so we're saying games that we played before we got into modern board games. We've discovered some games after we got into modern board games that were made a long time ago. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I don't remember when No Thanks was published, but I know it's older, and I think yeah. that would probably be on my list if we were just mm-hmm. talking about games that were published, like, a, you know, a decent amount of time ago. Yeah. And, like, 1830 would be on my list. And I, oh, Sherlock Holmes was also pretty old. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so. These, are, these are games that we played before we knew that hobby gaming was even a thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'll say for my list specifically, it is, I also picked games that I still to this day, if you came up to me and asked me to play this, I would play it with you. Like, I still like these games a lot. Yeah, I would probably still play these if you asked to play. Some of them I do still play. <laughs> oh yeah, me but too. Some of them uh, I haven't played in a while. Um, at least well, my top two are games that I play with some reasonable frequency, in mm-hmm. fact. So yeah, me too. that says a lot. Me too. <laughs> That's cool. For me, I excluded games that you can play that we played with a 52 card deck. Because my family played a lot of them. We had like this book that had all of these card games in it. It basically had a bunch of rules for different card games. And we played a lot of card games. So (laughs) that would just make my list too much to handle. So I excluded those. Okay. (laughs) All right. So let's hop in with our number five. My number five is Mind Maze, which... I had forgotten the name of it, but it's a two-player game published in 1970, designed by Marvin Glass and published by Parker Brothers. So this game, there's this board that's vertical, and it has pegs on it on each side. And 
you you're building a maze with these white sticks that go in between the pegs and you're building a maze for the other person who can't see it and each person has a marble and a magnet so the marble like goes through the other person's maze and you're like putting the magnet on your side trying to navigate through the maze and remember what <laughs> where it dropped so it's like a memory racing game because you're trying after you build the maze it's whoever like finishes the other person's maze first wins i used to play this with my brother i would probably lose most of the time <laughs> because when you're a kid two and a half years is a big difference <laughs> but um, but yeah it's it's pretty fun it sounds fascinating yeah i've never yeah. heard of this before <laughs> yeah the the main problem with it is like the components can be kind of iffy like sometimes the marble would get stuck if it's not supposed to get stuck so then you can't really tell if there's a wall there or if it just got stuck. Ah. Uh. But the other person can tell you, like, oh, that no, that was okay or something. But yeah, it's pretty hard sometimes. If the other person's really good at building the maze, then it's hard to remember which way it's going. And it's, it would probably be really tough to play now because I think as a kid, my memory was better. <laughs> like, short-term memory is, like, really good as a kid, I think. But... It's harder now, <laughs> but I haven't short-term played memory time. definitely going the older I get too. So. Yeah, but that was Mind Maze. All right, my number five is Mall Madness. I imagine this probably doesn't surprise any of you <laughs> at all. I really love kitschy uh, games from the 80s and 90s. Mall Madness was uh, designed by Michael Gray and released in 1989 by Milton Bradley. It's had a number of editions over the years. It's come out, they've actually continued making it, um, and the new editions are a little bit more cartoony and like purple in nature. And you'd think I would want the purple one, but no, <laughs> I like my original, like more bland looking color palette. In Mall Madness, you are literally going to the mall and trying to get the best deals on things. You're trying to collect a set of six items and get out of the mall before anyone else does. And there's an electronic box in the middle of the table that's shouting out which stores have specials and you're trying to rush to those stores before everybody else. And it has this uh, a bank that you can get money out of with your little fake credit card. Uh, it's dumb. And I don't know <laughs> if it's, I've always had this like weird love and nostalgia from shopping malls. Like just being able to go to a single place and shop at a bunch of different stores is always something I've enjoyed. And maybe that's why I like the game so much. I don't know. Um, but yeah, Mall Madness. It was fun when I was a kid. Uh, my copy that I owned as a kid is technically still at my mom's. Uh, I haven't uh, been able to test it to see if it still works, but I saved it when they were moving out of my childhood home. So I'm going to try and refurbish it if possible um, and bring it to Vegas so I can play it again. So that's my number five, Mall Madness. My number four is Gestures, which was published in 1990 by Milton Bradley. Gestures is kind of like charades. There's two teams and you're guessing things, but um, there's a slate board that you put your cards into. So you have cards and one one side of the card is easy and one side is hard. So you decide which which side you want and you get more points for the hard one. And then you put four cards into the slate board. And then when you press it down, a timer starts. And as time goes, like the first card will drop. So when, when that drops, you can't do it anymore. And the second card drops, third card drops, fourth card drops. So you, you have to do them within time to get the points. So you're trying to do all four, I think it's like a minute for all four, and 
That's it. Yeah, and if I remember <laughs> when you close, like, the thing on the top of the slate, that's what stops the timer, right? Like, when uh, you get... I think that's what maybe. happened. Oh, yeah, I had yeah, this yeah, as a yeah, kid, yeah. too. I forgot about this game until you started describing <laughs> it, but I remember the cards dropping out, and you were yeah. always about to grab yeah, it out, yeah. and it would drop through, and it was like, oh! Because like, oh. you'd, be, you'd be across the room doing something, and then have to run back and get it. But yeah, uh, but yeah I, I really like playing, like, guessing-type games, team-guessing games with my family. We'd play two versus two, because family of four growing up and it was a lot of fun so that's gestures like it's a pun (laughs) (laughs) my number four is something that's not on abby's list because she omitted 52 card games but i had to include it it is Mm. spades uh so spades is the trick-taking game that i played the most Uh, when I was growing up. I did also play Hearts and Wizard and other card games, but Spades is the one that I played a lot. My friends in high school and I would play Spades uh, whenever, like, choir class would kind of get done and we would have extra time we would sit in the back of the room and play spades (laughs) and then when we would hang out on the weekends or outside of school we played spades a lot as well Uh, i'm not really going to explain how spades works it's a pretty classic trick-taking game where you're bidding on the number of tricks that you and your teammate are going to take collectively Um, and it's neat because you're not working just by yourself you get to kind of help your teammate a little bit to some degree because your bids get combined so it's interesting i have not played this one in quite a while but I would be willing to again. So that is why Spades is my number four. My number three is Clue, which was published in 1949 first. There's a lot of publishers listed, but one of them is Hasbro. And it was signed by Anthony E. Pratt. I've mentioned a lot that I like deduction. Deduction's like one of my favorite me- mechanisms in games. And Clue is like what I played as a kid and through high school. That's a deduction game. And I still like playing it because I really like the deduction part. And I would play with my parents and we we like write down what everyone's guessing and then like who gave a card so we can deduce things from that. So we would like have our own scratch paper instead of just like little sheets that they have in that they give you with the game. And it would be a lot of fun. Maybe that's why I'm bad at these games, because I don't take detailed notes, and then somehow I think I know the things, and yeah. I never know the things. Yeah. When I was a kid, I didn't know what my parents were doing, but then as I got older, then I was like, oh, okay, yeah, you can like figure things out, and so it got more fun for me. <laughs> so that's Clue. My number three is one that I actually just mentioned in, I think, our most recent episode or the one before that, uh, and that is Rummy Cube. Uh, Rummy Cube is a gin-style set collection game using tiles where you are trying to make runs of three tiles or more or sets of three or four of a kind of specific types of tiles. Um, It actually has a lot of similarities to Mahjong, which you were discussing uh, as a recently played game recently. I played Rummy Cube uh, at my grandparents' house. My sister and I would play with my grandma and grandpa when we visited them. Uh, We played this a lot. Like, I very specifically remember having dinner, and then we would clear off the kitchen table and set up Rummy Cube and play Rummy Cube. Um, And it was neat because, you know, it's easy enough that kids can do it, but interesting enough that it's good for adults, too. So uh, I still like Rummy Cube. It was published originally in 1977, designed by Ephraim Herzano. I would like to play this one again at some point. So that is why it is my number three. That was my number six or seven. Okay. (laughs) My number two is Pictionary, which was published in 1985. Wow, it's that new, really? 
Yeah, I guess. It feels like it would be older <laughs> than that for some reason, but I don't know. Yeah, designed by Rob Angel and published by a bunch of companies again. So Pictionary is a, a drawing guessing game. And as I mentioned before, I like like guessing team guessing games. So in Pictionary, you're, each team is, you get a word and then you're drawing a picture and then your team is trying to guess what that picture is without, and you can't draw like letters or numbers. Um, so, like cause you can draw letters, you just write the word. But <laughs> Yeah, that does feel like cheating. <laughs> yeah. So I, I played this a lot growing up. So we, with our family, so we're like, pretty good at drawing quickly like stick figures and stuff and getting the point across and we actually still play it like when Toby and I go down and visit sometimes we play with with my parents so it's four players still so do um, your parents team up and you and Toby team up or do you kind of mix it up we, we mix it up I imagine you and Toby are a pretty good team yeah <laughs> Toby's really good at guessing things Toby's really good at everything like I don't anyone who has met Toby he is just like he's good at everything and it's he's so he's like the nicest human on the planet so you can't even be mad about it like he's just good at everything and I love him <laughs> in actual Pictionary I think one team is going at a time most of the time and the other team is just doing nothing unless they land on an all play space because there's different colored spaces that have different categories. And then all play, all the teams go at once and they're racing and whoever whoever gets the answer first gets to roll and move across the board. So we house rule it that it's always all play. So everyone's always drawing no matter what the category is, which is a lot more fun because otherwise one team could just be going all the time. So I would only play it with our house rule. <laughs> And we do play it with our house rule because I I don't I don't know if I've even played it without that house rule since I've been alive. <laughs> <laughs> but in utero, we played Pictionary yeah. by the rules. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe my parents tried it. <laughs> and you you like Tiny Baby Ambie was like, no, I don't want to play that way. We're not bored. We're playing it with the house rules. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that's Pictionary, and I think it made my top one hundred list last year too. Ooh, fancy. My number two will not come as a surprise to anybody, and that is the Omega Virus. So the Omega Virus was designed by Michael Gray, who I said earlier also designed Mall Madness. He actually designed a lot of these electronic board games in the late 80s and early 90s. And I was saying off camera to Ambi, I feel like I should try looking him up. Uh, I don't know. Oh, it's such a, such a generic name, though. Michael Gray. Like, yeah. it feels like Googling him is going to be difficult. But wouldn't it be neat to talk to somebody like that that was designing <laughs> these unique electronic games? Okay, yeah. tangent. Sorry. The Omega Virus came out in 1992. And uh, it's an electronic game where you and the other players are all on a space station that has been invaded by a computer virus. And it's going to make the space station explode unless you find and destroy the virus in time. The electronic box is both speaking as the computer virus and as the space station. And the space station is the whiniest thing in the whole world. The whole time you're playing, he's just like, help me. Like, he's just like, 
begging you to assist him. And it's really funny. Um, so you're moving around the board. And what's neat is every player has a secret code that they program into the box at the beginning of the game. And that secret code will help you know where the virus is on the board. So you can technically find the virus before you have all the things to destroy it. And you'll know where it is based on the, your secret code that it raids out when you're in the room. But then you can go finish collecting all of the stuff and come back and try and destroy it. It is pretty simple as games go, and I actually do house rule the movement in this game a little bit. But other than that, it's pretty straightforward. I like it a lot. I have been saying for years that I hope that Restoration Games brings this one back at some point. I know it is very high on their list of wants, so we'll see if that happens. But um, I adore this game, and I still play my original version that I got for my birthday in the early 90s to this day. So that is my number two, The Omega Virus. My number one is Mahjong, which I mentioned in the recently played, I think, last episode. And We've had a lot of gin tile-based games <laughs> yeah. around lately. Yeah. This probably would not have been my number one if I hadn't played it again recently, as I mentioned in the recently played. But yeah, I, I really like it. So it's a, yeah, a gin rum, it's a rummy type game with tiles and your collecting sets and... I mentioned you can listen to the last episode yeah. where I talk about it. We were talking in the Slack channel about the fancy table that like yeah. sorts the tiles and shuffles them for you. Like that's so cool, but very expensive. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to get that. But yeah, so Mahjong is my number one now. Awesome. My number one is a game that I played a lot as a kid and I still play a lot as an adult. And that is Balderdash. So Balderdash was released originally in 1984. Hey, same year I was released. Uh, <laughs> and it, <laughs> is that a person being released? That sounds kind of awkward, but whatever. Uh, it was designed by Laura Robinson and Paul Toyne and published by, yep, lots of different publishers over the years. We're not going to try and figure that out. And it's been kind of modified and changed over the years. The original version that I had as a kid, you were um, making up fake definitions to words. So a word would get presented and everybody would write down a fake definition and then the real definition would get shuffled in and you have to try and pick the right one. So this is kind of similar. We were just talking about other games like Dixit. Balderdash is mm. kind of one of the original yeah. games that did this thing, actually, where you're trying to fool other people into guessing the wrong answer of some kind. But then over the years, they've added different categories to Balderdash, like weird laws and movie plots and acronyms. And so like with the acronym one, like you'll say, okay, the acronym is B-L-R. And everybody has to write down what they think that acronym means. And the answers you get in this game, I don't know how it happens. Maybe all of my friends are just the most brilliant people, but it is always hilarious to hear what people come up with. And just you'll listen to the answers and you're like, literally every single one of those is hilarious and could also be true. And I have no idea which one to pick. I love Balderdash a lot. It is great. I still play it pretty frequently. Uh, I am happy to have it in my collection. And I recommend this one. If you're looking for a party game, I know this one kind of doesn't make a lot of those lists because it's older, but it is legit and very fun. So I highly recommend Balderdash. And that is why it is my number one. Yeah, I didn't actually play Balderdash when I was a kid, but we played the dictionary game, which is basically we took the dictionary the dictionary book, which I guess people probably don't have anymore, <laughs> but flipped through it, found a word, and then 
that would be the word that we're making up things for. So like one person would see the actual definition and everyone else would make up one. <laughs> nice. So you basically homebrewed your own balderdash. <laughs> yep. Awesome. For this week's etymology segment, I am doing something a little different and it's not etymology in the formal sense, but it's game related and it's kind of etymo etymological, so we're going to go with it. And that is, I'm going to explain the origins of the company name Hasbro. I think most people probably don't know why Hasbro is called Hasbro. Other things like Milton Bradley, a little more obvious. It's a guy's name. His name was Milton Bradley. That's the story. But for Hasbro, uh, it actually comes from the last name of three brothers, Henry, Hillel and Herman Hassenfeld, who founded the company. So it's uh, an abbreviated word that literally just means Hassenfeld brothers. So has bro, Hassenfeld brothers. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, they've used the name for their company uh, since it was founded in 1923. And then in 1968, it got shortened from Hassenfeld brothers to Hasbro Industries. And then in 1985, it got shortened to just Hasbro. So for your your and my lives, basically, it's pretty much always just been Hasbro, mm -hmm. uh, but it didn't always used to be. So that's where the history of the name Hasbro came from. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. After the Empire, an exciting new worker placement and tower defense game is live on Kickstarter now, so reserve your copy today. Gray Fox Games, quality games cleverly crafted. If you're enjoying the show, you can rate and review us on your podcast provider, or consider becoming a patron. For as little as $1 a month, you can unlock access to unedited episodes and our private Slack channel, which lets you chat with us and other Blitzkiskiers directly. Head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz to become a patron today. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Mark. Technical support provided by Toby Mountain. Board Game Blitz is part of the Dice Tower Network. Until next time, for the first time in forever, we both played the same two games. Bye, everyone. Because I really like the deduction. <laughs> and I don't think I explained the game. <laughs> okay. I was going to point it out if you didn't get around to it. Should I start over? I mean, you can do whatever you want. Okay. I think I'll start over. Okay. Okay. Until next time. Gosh, I'm out of breath. <laughs> That's okay. You've got a lot of things taking up the space where your lungs used to be. It's like, I, I used to be able to breathe, but not anymore. Okay. Alliteration puzzle time, everyone. Uh, shout out to Lit Alliteration on Twitter, Chip Beauvais, for helping us with these alliteration puzzles. Last episode, we asked you to retheme a game about birds for especially strange furry creatures affected by the moon. What game was that, Ambi? That was Weird Werewolves Wingspan. I don't know about you, but I kind of want to play that one. <laughs> Uh, all right, so this time around, we are asking you to retheme a set collection tile game for a Jewish teacher who is especially wild. Good luck, everyone.